Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're back in Ireland, joined by Greg Dalton, the director of the Social Guys. Craig, you're very welcome to the show. How are you, Rain? Thanks for having me. Yeah, hey, I'm very good. Um, look, for this show, as I said before we start recording, focus on three main areas, early influences, challenges, and pivotal moments. So with you know different. Uh, you grew up in Dublin? I grew up in Wicklow, country boy. Wicklow. Family okay. from Dublin, yeah. I'm, I'm a Wicklow boy, so I live out just beside Greystones in Newtown Mount Kennedy. Beautiful. What was life like growing up there? Any standout favourite memories? Do you know what? I didn't appreciate Wicklow as much as I appreciate it now. Back then, you were rushing into the big city, rushing into the big smoke because you thought everything was going on there, whereas now I'm the polar opposite. I love the idea of getting back to Wicklow because it's, you know, it's less hectic. Growing up, pretty basic. Like every kind of country town, you've got your pack of lads, you're walking around, you're standing outside chippers and, and kicking a ball off walls. To me, there's nothing too special about it. I loved it. Would I go back? Probably. Um, but no, not, nothing too crazy, man. It's interesting because any guest I've had on that uh, lives out in the countries that I'm on the borders, I live in a, in a village called Ratoth, which is like yeah. 25 minutes from Dublin. Yeah. I had, a, I'm trying to think of his name, Dave Sherry from the Signature Group. Now yeah. he has his own company called Land and Expand. He's similar. He said he was from just out in the sticks. He didn't appreciate it. And as he grew older, He's a big fan of it now as well. So. I love it. I love it. Do you know what? It's funny because even when I'm, I'm down here with my partner uh, or friends or whatever it may be, and even when I'm in Dublin or whatever it may be, I seem to know a select amount of people that nobody knows. Like, How do you know those? He said, well, I live there and I know him and I know his uncle and his sister and his cousin and whatever it may be. I suppose as you grow up, like, look, the, the freedom of running around and, and not having a care in the world is fantastic. It's obviously a little bit different to the inner city. Um, I don't think we grow up differently in any way, shape or form. But as I've learned, you know, by growing up, it's really enjoyable and it's really, really important to know that you have time to step back and kind of relax and breathe without having a building site on your head or without having 100 taxis flying by you. So for me, I really like it. And, and in the line of work that I've done and what I've always done over the last couple of years, it's very, very refreshing to come home after a heavy day where I could have met 10 or 15 people or been on 100 phone calls and to just know that I can walk down a forest or to know that I can just aimlessly walk with a pair of headphones in. You know, it's, it's really refreshing for the mindset. And then in terms of creativity and, and aligning my goals and my focus, it's, it's perfect. I'm with you on that, man. I've lived in the city and I've spent most of my life outside the city. And when I lived in the city, I found myself, just because of the being in the city, out far more. <laughs> after work to socialize because it was nothing else to do than being yeah. at home is much more refreshing um sticking with your early days before we move on to all sorts of business and marketing uh, juicy stuff uh who do you think had the biggest impact on you or inspired you the most while you were growing up in general uh, this is a conversation that i'm well involved in on a daily basis because i'm involved in marketing but mm. if the word influence is thrown around quite a lot influencer influence who it to me, an influence, I suppose, is someone that I've, I've looked up to and, and, and someone that benefits me in some way, shape or form. 
and I look at things like my family, like my surrounding. I, there's no real moment for me where I turn around and say, well, that person made me do this and made me become that. I find, you know, you're influenced by your environment. You're influenced by um, the people you're around. Um, I have many a conversation with people around about, about the circle that we're within and, and the influence that, th that those people have. But for me, early influences, I would say, are my family. Um, most definitely my family because my dad gets up, he works hard, he works very hard mm. and he's given us everything that we need um, to get to where we need to be in terms of going to college, you know, getting cars, learning to drive, go to school. And then on the other side of the coin, you've got my mum who would be quite caring and she, she cares for elderly people, creches and people with disabilities. So to me, it's, it, there's a mix going on there. You've got my brother then who, who's quite actively plays sports. So for me, I've kind of got the best circle to, to be mm -hmm. in. I've got my dad who goes out and works hard. So in, in my eyes, I need to get out. I need to get up. I need to achieve and I need to work hard to, to support the people around me in my future. On the other side of the coin, I've got my mum who looks after people, who has a, you know, a sensitive soul and, and a soft side to her, which I've definitely found in my own life. And then I've got the likes of my brother who's up, who's active, who's exercising. And that then for me is something that I would take forward and move on with. So in terms of, I suppose, when you speak to anyone that's involved in business, whether it's a startup or an entrepreneur or whatever it may be, they will always say, oh, well, I like him and I watch videos of him and that's what I aspire to be. I firmly believe it's the environment that I'm in and that is the influence as to who I am and what I will become. And as my environment changes and my circle changes, I might get bigger, better, faster, stronger, or the polar opposite. Did any of them have an influence in your decision to study event management at college? No, um, they did. My mom pushed me to go to college. She really, really was passionate about me going to college. Um, I would have been the first in my immediate family to go to college. Um, I wasn't predominantly, to, to, be, to be quite honest, bothered. The idea of college didn't really phase me. Um, I would have been a pretty bang average in, in terms of my school. And um, I was involved in events. I used to run club nights and parties and all that type of stuff. But I more so wanted to achieve that for her as opposed to myself. Nice. Uh, and and that, that, that's my overview of my college. Um, I wasn't going to college to better myself or to enhance my skill set. I kind of felt like I had a duty to, to fulfill. Um, and that was to make my parents proud in a sense that we would love for one of our kids to go to college. And that's why I did it. It was only kind of when I was there and I was picking it up and I was naturally becoming quite good at what I was doing that I realized, OK, I'm actually quite good at this. Um, I did enjoy the idea, like I'm quite a social person um, I'm quite active. I'm quite out there all the time. I did enjoy the idea of, you know, creating a business around something that is social and full of activity and mm. full of life. But for me, they didn't drive me towards doing that. Um, as I said, you know, my mum my is a, predominantly a carer. She looks after people. Um, and my dad then is involved in cars. So I could have gone either of those routes, but they kind of just wanted me to do what I could do. Um, I enjoyed that social scene and I felt if I could make um, a living from it, that'd be fantastic. As they say, you know, if, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. But as the time went on, um, I progressively became more and more interested in it. Um, and it became a powerful tool and a very powerful set of skills that I, I was starting to acquire to make money quite quick. After college, and I have another question on event management in a moment, but after college, you uh you worked as uh, city vop london 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Cafe de Paris event manager. And, and I know you study event management. Any lessons that you could carry over from these roles to what you're now doing? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the level of professionalism jumped. Um, in terms of I was managing events here, uh, I set up my own company while I was in college. Um, and that was, again, a bit of a, a bit of a jump. But I thought, look, I'm, I'm well capable of doing it. You know, let's let's get it up. Let's get it running. I then I did transition then and I moved to London uh, and I started to work in Café de Paris, which is predominantly one of the most notorious clubs on the planet. That is um, it's famous because the Royals used to party there. Um, there some massive names there. I think the first night I arrived there, Wolf of Wall Street was just finished. Margot Robbie and the likes were all drink, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, this is a big deal." I suppose what Cafe de Paris taught me was the professionalism, and the clean cut nature of a really high end business. And um, I also learned from that very quickly that networking, regardless of what you do, is so important. It is, and I say it even to my own staff now network every single day i don't care if it's if you're talking to someone on the side of the street or whatever it may be network because no matter what situation you're in to have the ability to be able to link one person with another person is fantastic if there's financial gain in it it's amazing if there's no financial gain in it and it's just a genuine favor for someone it's an, it's a fantastic feeling and when i what i learned very quickly with Cafe de Prix, and that's not to say that you know essentially everybody I met was a superstar, but I met a lot of people that were involved in hospitality. I met a lot of people that were involved in design and creations, animations, etc. I can still pick up the phone till this day and say, oh, "Well, I'm in London. Would you like to meet?" Or I have a client who wants to do a little bit of work, you know, in the south of London. Do you know someone? For me, that's the most powerful thing that has come from that. And naturally, I was quite young as well, so I grew up quite quick. I, I went over there as a little Irish fella. You know, they used to tell me to fix my tie when I went in. And it, it, if I was dressed like that at home, everyone would have thought I was royalty. But, but over there, they kind of, they just, everything was really polished. But in mm -hmm. terms of networking, I, like I cannot stress enough the power of me having a phone that I can literally jump to the UK and be like, I've been there all my life. Yeah. And that's something that I used. I agree. The power of networking is huge. Um, there's a question that popped into my head and I'll ask it because I've asked it to, I mean, I've only ever asked it to people who uh, studied uh, computer science or coding at college. And the question I have is usually uh, take what you studied for three, four years of college. And yeah. now in your current role, um, do you think your four years in college was of any benefit to what you do now? Or do you think you could have self-thought and been at the same level, if not further ahead? There's companies like Stripe that have teamed up with the likes of UL mm -hmm. to uh, do what they'd imagine or they'd like to do if a course was on offer. So the same question for you, but event management. Do you think that you took anything from the event management course or do you think you could have learned from just being in the environment that you've yeah. talked about? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's one of those things, you know, you, before you run, you learn to walk. Um, I, I Not that I would find it necessarily essential because my career has has pivoted and changed throughout the course mm. but for my career to pivot and change I had to reach a certain point and by reaching a certain point I had to use that skill set so the skill set that I did learn in college I then you know deployed while I managed clubs and bars and events while in that job I then started to, to realize I was quite good at something else and use that I'm I'm one of I'm one of these types of people Rain, where it's kind of like 
my fear in life is never knowing if I was amazing at something and I haven't tried it. Like I, it, the idea of me, you know, I could potentially be the best bowling player in the planet. And if I haven't tried it, it would kill me. Got to scratch that itch, huh? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> and that's kind of the story of my life. But, but for me, and, and I know that's a, that is a very common question in terms of when young people are looking at things, you know, do I need to go to college? Can I teach myself these things? In terms of me getting some of the jobs that I've wanted to do, no one has even known that I've gone to college. And that's to be totally honest with you. Nobody has even known. And I've known that because I've had conversations with people before. So when I did that, oh, you did that. Well, I'm working here nearly two years. Sometimes people don't even know. But for me to get to the level that I needed to be at, I needed some, I needed some type of skill set. And if I that was to saturate 20% of skills from that course and to deploy them then in a job role, I'm going to be 20% better. So what I had got, I used in a job and then I slowly used that job to get into another job. So it, it's definitely been of benefit to me. Um, essentially, would I say it's the end of the bit? Not at all. Um, if mm. I was to jump past the events and the hospitality and managing bars and move straight into the online digital world, could I have self-taught? Maybe. But would I have been exposed to the opportunities if I didn't have that network from that middle stage? You, do you know what I'm saying? Back to network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, Sidetrack. You've been to places like New York, Amsterdam, Vegas. Yeah. I originally came across you when you were a DJ. What's yeah. one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? What's one thing that I'm into? Mm. Um, that not a lot of people would know about me. You know what? That's a good question. That is a very good question. That's a Usually people question. say that when they don't have an answer and they're trying to kill some time. Yeah, no. Do you know what? I'm, I'm quite strange. And I would openly say that okay. I'm, I'm strange in my mindset, as in um, I indefinitely suffer with some type of OCD, 1,000%. One, one, one um, I've gotten into things in my life before, like fish. Um, I studied fish for a period of time. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it, like when you see me and you see an online persona of me it is it's traveling it's around it's working it's network it's clubs it's 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 cool yeah it is i love traveling mm-hmm. I, I love all that type of stuff um things someone wouldn't necessarily know about me is i'm quite strong um and passionate about things like mindset and mindfulness and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. um but there could be a lot of strange things about me that people don't know i spend a lot of time getting involved in really weird things um but yeah, yeah. But look, I have to think of something off heart that people might not know about me. You've got a good mustache that you that's it, yeah. that's don't it. want to shave that's off. It. Come here. That um, was my my razor's broke. That's about it. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything. Uh, I'm I'm a believer that if you want to get anyone to take action, you must first get their attention. Of course. Uh, you've been in the event industry for a fair amount of time, and that's about. A, getting the attention of people to get them to come to your event or your venue. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in your current role in online marketing or the event world that you, when it comes to getting people's attention to take action that you think they shouldn't overlook or they, or people often do overlook and frustrate you? Uh, not particularly, uh, and it's, uh, it, it can sound rude, but I'm sure any marketeers that might listen to this or are involved with this that are drawn to advertising, the, the market that we deal with, it, and it's around the world, it's not just, just the Irish market, it's around the world. It's, it's not that it's easy to do, but it's very, like, 
a lot of our advertising is based on emotions. I'm, I think I, I think it could be going off topic here. If you want to rephrase that, no, question. no, no, far away. There's no, there's no structure that so, is. So, in, in what you're saying is, is there something that I feel when we advertise, people overlook, or, or how do you mean? Is there is when you see others, competitors in the industry, or people attempting to get attention online, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, yeah. is there something that you think? Um, people overlook that if they didn't overlook could get them to that next level um perhaps perhaps yeah i yeah perhaps when look i i'm i've not made uh, i've not made it to the top yet i'm a million miles away but what i would say in terms of advertising and marketing and things that competitors might overlook and and that individuals overlook in terms of events is to to draw in a person as you said to get someone's attention it's it's, it's actually pretty easy um, it's just playing it's it's literally playing to emotion that's all it is it's playing okay. to emotion and um, wh- when I find when I when I have a new client or a new concept or whatever it may be I always step back and, and people that I work with would always say the same thing I'm quite I'm quite moody and I'm quite moany all the time and someone said this is a great idea and I was like well I don't like that idea I don't think this is good I I'm I'm quite like that but I, I always step back and say well it, let's say, for example, I'm representing a brand that's, you know, tea bags, okay? And, and we're mm-hmm. representing tea bags. And the goal here is to achieve how to sell as many tea, tea bags as we physically can. Now, everyone would say, oh, we'll do crazy videos. It's not that. It's just, I always step back and say, why am I going to follow tea bags? Why am I going to buy these tea bags? Why am I, why would this tea bag in, interest me whatsoever? And I put myself in the consumer's shoes all the time. And how I would actually get involved is if, if that marketeer and that advertising company played to my emotions so yeah. a- around the clock they're playing to you know you're you're up in the morning it's snowing out it's a cup of tea you're late for work quick cup of tea that's the type of stuff that sometimes people overlook and they think yeah we'll smash out this picture of a tea bag up on the eiffel tower or something something crazy but to me to actually sell and to actually stop someone in their tracks is always play to their emotion because what like me and you are thinking right now the person next door is thinking the exact same. Like the person next door to me is thinking they're hungry. So the best way to advertise now is play on his emotions. The person beside that is thinking, oh, I'm going to go for a run. Advertisers need to play on, okay, well, we're going to sell gym gear, but we're selling it on your mood. I try to base everything around mood and the way people would consume as opposed to having the most outlandish, stupid form of advertising. It's, it's, it's a necessity. It, it call to action, as you said, if I want something, I have to feel that I want it. If I'm going to follow something, I have to feel that I need to follow it. I'm not just going to follow it for the sake of it. I'm not just going to buy it for the sake of it. If you go and buy yourself Apple earphones, uh, you know, you're buying them because I feel the need to have these and I don't want to dangly wire. So they've played to your emotions. They've built that concept around what Reen needs. Do you know that type of way? Mm. You're involved in cardboard magic. Yeah. Um, you got a nice bit of pure come Christmas time yeah. on the uh, Late Late Show. And you've mentioned, you mentioned, you can mention this publicly as well to me off air, a couple of the names of people that have given the company shout outs. Do you mainly focus on that as a strategy? Uh, I'm going to use the word influencers yeah, or yeah. Uh, getting the attention of people who have large audiences to then echo the brand? Or is it, that mixed with paid media, that mixed with X, Y, and Z. What's your strategy from when this product first landed on your desk to going, here's how I'm going to get this out to the public? 
Oh, for me, um, cardboard magic was a product, a, a product that I was very passionate because I, I, I passionate about, should I say, because I wanted to jump from late night events, clubs and bars to a more child friendly color based environment. And um, I think it would have been the best situation for me physically and mentally to be involved in that environment at that time going through a lockdown. In terms of my strategy to blow up cardboard magic, um, it was it, it's not it wasn't easy. I spent an awful lot of time blowing the product up, and I still do every single day of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become something that's very passionate to me, and obviously I'm I'm heavily involved. But what happened with cardboard magic was my budget at the start wasn't allocated. Like this wasn't going to be the next big thing. It was kind of this will keep people busy. It would be fantastic if it was to blow up, but the budget in terms of advertising was non-existent. But what I did have was product. So if I if I didn't have the avenue of you know uh, finance and heavily based paid content, I knew I had product sitting there. So the best way to get product out is to give product for other people to demonstrate product. Mm-hmm. So for me, I would have always kind of argued, well, you, you don't really know how effective influencer marketing is. Um, and I always argue, and to this day, like people tend to give influencers a bit of stick. It's a hard job. It's a very hard job what they're trying to do. They're trying to build content around a brand that's focused on themselves to generate some money. And I have to give them all credit for what they do. But for me, it was difficult because you couldn't track the metrics. And it was hard unless you were doing discount codes. Because if I was to give you a product, Rean, and you were to advertise it, but in the same day I was advertising the same product, and 20 sales came in, I wouldn't know if you've got zero and I've got 20 or could have been, you know, 50-50. So... For me, it was a real, I have to try trial and test it. Um, initially, to get off the ground, I focused on influencers. Um, but I, I didn't have this malicious agenda to be like, you know, here's a free talk about it. It was actually at the stage of, let's get this into every kid's hands. Like, this mm. is going to be great. Like, they're away from screens. They're not looking at iPads. They're not playing Candy Crush for six hours for peace and quiet. It was like, they're actually crawling around walls. They're painting things. They're building things. Um, I focus quite heavily on charities. Um, we, we got stuff into hospitals, hospices, um, autism centers. Like It was a real, like, everyone is in this together. It was the perfect product at the perfect time with the perfect market. And for me, it wasn't just a case of, oh, let's just throw it to influencers. Everybody's involved. I actually couldn't care less if you were the most famous individual on planet earth or you live down the road do you know mm. it was, everybody's involved you get the same toy there's no royalty there's no um added treatments if you've got a hundred thousand followers there was nothing like that the idea was the budget wasn't there to advertise so if i could get it to a big name to showcase it i could then hit every household in the country that could actually see it and then in turn mm-hmm. their kids would then see it so it was a kind of a real win-win for everybody the influencers played their part in what they do best they generated good content they showcased it their kids had activity and then the people the everyday kind of person who isn't involved in the influencer world would see it and then again take it home create their own content and play and play with their own kids um, as time, as time moved on, you know, naturally you can't depend on the likes of influencers and I have had to allocate budgets in, in terms of, you know, paid content and moving across the sea. And um, we've moved across to the US at the moment, which naturally is the most marketed um, country and continent in the planet. And um, I think the price of 
screen impressions in the US is nearly four or five times as expensive as it would be on this side of the world. So, yeah, so so naturally you have to try and, and throw a few quid at it. Um, that, that old saying of, oh, it's tough to crack America. I'm, uh, I'm going through that right now. You're experiencing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Bringing you back to Ireland for a moment, I know we've got international listeners. I know in Ireland it's called the Leaving Certificate, England, yeah. A-levels. I don't know what it's called in America. Yeah. Um, SATs maybe um, what if you could add one mandatory subject for the leaving certificate what would that be I would say physical education um, people always say weird one but I have known people across many sectors um, I do I do believe that the leaving cert is, is a great test of time you know it, it, it is to, to a degree but there is certain things that I don't agree with and um, I don't feel that we're tested um accordingly as to how we deal with life going forward for me i just felt and i've known people that have gone on and, and even to this day have fantastic careers but their leaving certs were very poor but they've had fantastic careers out of sports or fantastic careers out of physical education and for me i don't like the idea of someone studying you know endless hours around the clock but not knowing you know what's good for their body because it, it, in time you can you can study books for for forever amount of time and when it comes to you know your early 20s or your 30s you could be really really heavy and your mindset isn't there your you, your mental health isn't there you're physically mm. not capable of doing anything and for me to be the best version that you can physically be you have to be physically ready they always say, you know, you train physically, but you also train your mind mentally. And I feel that the people that back then, it's not just that they've had good metabolisms, they're playing sports, they're eating healthy. They should also be tested and receive some type of reward. And we should try and encourage that to everybody because there would be nothing worse than getting 500 points, but you can't walk down the stairs. And then on the polar opposite side of the coin, there's someone that gets 100 points, but they could run up and down the stairs a thousand times. Now, to me, if I wanted to get something done, predominantly I'm going to ask the person who can run up and down the stairs because he's going to be more effective for, for me, depending on what it is. So that is something mm -hmm. that I, I, I would always be really passionate about. And I, I'm most certain there's a lot of parents out there past pupils whatever it may be who would feel that is very important going forward joe rogan agrees with you <laughs> heavily on his podcast <laughs> Gee, that, like you couldn't have picked anyone worse <laughs> ah, i like joe joe's a good guy um when i actually interesting enough sticking this for a second yeah. uh, jim's opened up back back again this week in ireland yeah. and uh, um, i don't know what jim you're part of but i'm part of a gym called uh gym plus in ashburn you have to log on to your app and then pick a slot, but you can't pick a slot for more than three days out. So you don't like hog the whole week. Okay. Um, so I picked slots Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in the mornings. And then I went on Monday morning and I was the first session back. I was kind of like frustrated because I was like, shit, man. I went at 8am because I couldn't get a slot at 7am. And I was like, I'm eating into my working day here. Yeah, this is not good. I should be at my desk doing work. But then when I thought of it, when I went on Tuesday, I was like, actually, this is part of my work. Like Absolutely. I need to make sure I have a good, strong mindset and I'm in a good place and I've got something done at the start of the day. So like I view that now as a, as a key aspect of the working day. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you on your choice of subject. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I look, I, I firmly agree. And I, I more so agree now because in the last year, before COVID hit, I was training for a triathlon. Before the triathlon, I was mad into my weights. Now I couldn't run up the stairs because I thought it was great, but it was actually unfit. 
But <laughs> what I've learned over the last year is I've gone from a small T-shirt to a large. I've gone from a 30-inch uh, jeans to a 34. And I went and I spent the last year working, eating, sleeping, working, eating, sleeping, with no times for runs in the evening. Because let's be honest, after a thousand emails, a thousand calls, I'm not going running anywhere other than bed. So that was a re- that was a very important uh pillar of my day and my my life for a long period of time and now that it was taken away from us i suppose for the last year for for obvious reasons but i could not agree more and it complements my theory on why i feel it's so important in terms of actual education and and exams when i go to the gym whether i'm in the gym at six in the morning or in the evening i am a different person i'm my i'm so clear on what i want to do what i want to achieve how like today i'm boxing things off at a really fast rate because i know i'm training this evening and then i'll Mm -hmm. finish training and i'll be very happy and i'll have a lovely evening with my girlfriend whereas if i finish work i eat my food all i want to do then is sleep so for me i exactly what you're saying that is if not one of the most important things you can do even if it's a 10 minute walk is to clear your head think be focused and actually have a goal that's another goal that you can incorporate within your business three questions left for you craig um first one is i have this thing called a cookbook it's not like a recipe book to bake the perfect cake but it is essentially just a list of daily activities that i need to get done to make sure i keep my pipeline healthy and and revenue growing at at a at a steady rate and not looking for hockey stick growth so same question to you when you're looking at building a daily, weekly, or monthly cookbook to make sure that you and your co-partner continue to build the social guys, yeah. what's in there? Is there networking, referrals, um, going to online events? Hmm. What What are the key things that you think you to be, couldn't exclude? Yeah, to, 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 be, to be totally honest, myself and Cormac, um, when we set up the social, we, we've actually recently set up another business. Uh, it's called The Waffler now, which is a food business. And um, we've just not been talking about it because it's a side project that we, mm. that we kind of have. And um, so we're, we're kind of spread at the moment. We're spread across a full agency and then we've got a food business as well. And um, in terms of us and with the social guys, our priority and things you wouldn't exclude would be the likes of our staff because there's so many things that they do for us that we will physically never get done or get to. Um, They keep us in in track. They keep us intact. And if we're going to miss something, if we're late, if we've forgotten about something, they are there. So they would always be be in our cookbook. Um, On top of that, then, I spend quite a lot of time dealing with clients um, as opposed to, you know, boxing off an hour. I'm quite accessible. Um, Some people say it's, it's, it's a bad thing. But I'm quite accessible. So we, we spend a lot of time dealing with our clients and we kind of get to know them as friends as well. So in terms of our agency and, and how we manage um, people's businesses and their brands, there's no point in us being really, really formal to a degree and send them a report at the end of the month and then the occasional text. Because at the end of the day, they're the person who's producing the product. They're the person who had the initial vision and, and the view of where it should be and what it can become. So in terms of our cookbook, our staff are are one of the most important ingredients and we spend an awful lot of time um building relationships with our clients and again what you'll find with marketing is your metrics and your reporting is absolutely vital in terms of showcasing people's bang for book Um, and then on top of that what we try and, and promote in the in the social guys as well is our well-being 
our well-being because the the following day you know the, the cookbook only gets stronger the, the well-being is the sweetener on top it's the sugar that keeps us happy that keeps us moving um, and it keeps us kind of motivated to keep moving on and keep on boarding and um, mm. look it like like any business we we lack we naturally look and want growth and we want to see things you know on, on the rise but like anything it's like a house the fundamentals and the bricks have to be there and i come in every day and i write down you know the foundations exactly what i'm saying to you our clients our staff our happiness our well-being and then the produce of our work um, and then when those things are ticked off and boxed off we focus on you know generating new sales building new concepts building new brands but the fundamentals have to be locked in before i start any day your loved ones are all safe but your house is burning down and you can only save one item what one item is that going to be that would be uh, my family and my friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I was saying to you there, even before we jumped on this call, you can work so hard and, you know, have everything you want. But at the end of the day, it, it is all material objects. Um, I think a lot of people tend, you know, when, when they do work and, and achieve everything they want to achieve, um, it's because they enjoy working. They enjoy the idea of working um, and it's a hobby and it's a pastime and they make money from it and it's fantastic. But regardless of what way you want to look at it. I know myself and Cormac over the last year have kind of set up um, two to three businesses that are startups with a lot of stress and a lot of crap, um, tough times and some fantastic times. But when things do get quite rocky or quite rough, um, those same people are always there. They are mm -hmm. always there and they'll pick you up. So if that house burnt down, you know, those same people are going to be on the phone or, or beside you the next day to go and build another house. I know over the last few months with our own business, We've experienced some hardships um, and look, it, it's part of learning, it's part of growing, but those same people are there to kick me on. When I feel I'm, I'm, I'm not getting where I want to be, I'm hitting a wall, this is difficult, those same people are the people that would say to me, you know what to do, you're the one that can control this, like, you know, go and, and get it done. And that motivation could have me 10 houses down the line, I hope. Last question, and we'll leave it there, is I'd like you to imagine we're talking as if it's now the year 2030 mm -hmm. and you're looking back on the last decade. Uh, you can answer this personally, professionally, yeah. combination of both. But imagining it's the year 2030, what would you like to be looking back on? Um, I like the idea of opportunity, uh, not just for myself. I'd like, obviously, to be quite comfortable. Um, I'd like my family to be comfortable. But I like mm -hmm. the idea of opportunity, something that I've always enjoyed um, when I go on a journey, I like to bring other people on a journey with me. It might, it might be a journey to nowhere um, or it might be a journey to somewhere fantastic. Um, with everything that I've done in my career to date, I've always incorporated someone or something that I feel could come on this journey with me. Um, and I'd like to think, you know, in 2030, someone might have the same feeling about me and say, well, I'd bring this guy on a journey with me and I'd like to pass that down. I, I love the idea. Um, of sitting back at the end of the day. And even if it's been a crappy day or a crappy year or a crappy month, I love the idea that I have gotten someone out of bed to come and work. I love the idea that I've gotten someone up to learn. I love the mm. idea that I am orchestrating some of these things. And I love the idea that we're, we're all moving forward. So that's, that's something that I relish in. I like it. Well, for today, we'll leave it there, Craig. Thank yeah. you very much for being my guest. And I wish you nothing but continued success going forward. You're a gentleman, Rain. Thank you very much, man.